He started the series Counterculture Living. Last week, Pastor Ethan continued that with the salt and light, talked about salt and light. And this week, we're going to take the next little passage here. I'd like to go to verse number 17 and start right there if we could. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking, mind you. He's preaching here. And here's what he says. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or to the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that in that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Does that sound familiar? Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verse 26 Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. This morning I want to look at this passage. I want to talk about this subject, living counterculture from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. I pray that you'd help us, guide and direct as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning. I pray that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus starts off his Sermon on the Mount. And he starts off his Sermon on the Mount by saying, and we've gone through these with Pastor, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake. And it's very interesting because Jesus is giving this sermon and he's preaching and he's sharing that blessed are these people. And I can just picture as everyone is listening and Jesus is saying that these people are blessed. I want you to think of being in that crowd and never hearing that before. They've never heard, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. All they've heard in that day and age was, blessed are you if you fulfill the law, the Mosaic law. They've heard that in order to do what's right, you have to obey the Mosaic law. That's the most important thing to them. Obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. Who cares about what you do when no one's paying attention? But obey the law, obey the law, obey the law. That was what they've heard. And Jesus comes and he says, 
Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. So I'm picturing these people listening to him. And they are flabbergasted that Jesus is saying something that is so counterculture. So something. That's why this series is called Counterculture Living. Because it was so against what everybody was taught in that day and age. And I want you to think about it. Does this sound something very familiar to what we're facing today? We're facing a world that is sharing stuff that is so not what this book says. And I'll tell you this, counterculture, when I get up in front of a group of teenagers and I say, you are to be married to one man or one woman, it is, it is to be married, the Bible said that you were to, to be married to one person, you were to you wait until marriage to live with somebody, and you go through and you share biblical principles about God's word, and sometimes I will get that person that looks at me like, I have a third eye right in the middle of my forehead. Like I'm saying something that they have never, ever heard before. I, again, you need to come up to our youth group sometimes and you need to hear some of the things and you need to see the reaction. And I'll tell you, why do some of the people look at me like that? Why do some of these young people look at me like I have a third eye when I say that marriage is between one man and one woman? Why do they look at me weird when I say that you are to wait until marriage? The Bible says that the bed is undefiled. Why do I, why do I get looked at like that? Because it's counterculture. And what is not being taught in the public schools across the world is what is in this book. What is not being taught in many homes across America is not is what is in this book. It's not being taught. And so when this book is opened and you share truths from this book and you share the wisdom of the word of God and what God's word says, sometimes people look at you like you have a third eye. They look at you like, that's what I'm supposed to do? And Jesus is sharing this and he's like, guys, look, I'm sharing this. I'm not come to destroy the law. I'm not coming to go away with the law. Everything you know, yes, continue it. But he says, I'm come to fulfill the law. And can I just testify for just a second? The most fulfilling life a person can have is a life had with Jesus Christ. The most fulfilling life that anybody could ever ask for, the most fulfilling life that any person could ever have, is the life that is dedicated to Jesus Christ. I've seen this post going around on social media, and it goes something like this. I don't want to shove Jesus down your throat. But if you only knew what he could do for you, you'd wish I did. Think about that. I don't want to shove Jesus down anybody's throat. But if they only knew what Jesus could do with their life, if they gave it to him, oh, they'd wish I would. They wish I would. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You want to know the most fulfilling life a person can have? Live it in Jesus Christ. Live it through Jesus Christ. Do what Jesus Christ is asking. And, and he's standing before this group of people and he's preaching this message and he's sharing what God is, what is on his heart and he's saying, blessed are the meek. And it's all counter culture. It's all not something that they've heard. And can I tell you something? When you stand up in front of a group of people and you share the truths of the word of God and you share what Jesus Christ has said and you share principles of what Jesus Christ can do with the person's life that is yielded to him, it's so not what is being taught out in the world that sometimes you get looked at funny. Sometimes you get looked at. So here he starts talking about things that they've heard 
things that they're supposed to obey on the outside according to the law. But Jesus takes it one step further. I want you to see what he says. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 21. So he says, you've heard. So he says, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. So he goes, hey, you've heard in times past, thou shalt not kill. Part of the Ten Commandments, right? And he says, you've heard this. But he takes it a step further. And he says, whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Verse number 22. But I say unto you, so you've heard that thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus takes it a step further and he talks about the inside. We see the outside. We see what's going on on the outside. But Jesus takes it a step further and he says, what's going on on the inside? What's going on on the inside? What we don't want to have in our Christian life is just surface obedience. You know, the worst thing that a Christian could have is just surface obedience. Because there's no substance in the heart. I'm just doing what I'm doing because I'm supposed to. Sometimes in life we get into the habit of just doing it and going to church and reading my Bible and doing it just because I'm supposed to. But God says, no, 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 no. Don't just obey the law. Don't just read your Bible. Don't just go to obey the law. But what is the heart like? What is the inside like? And he takes it that step further. What is the, what is the best thing is to honor God. We say, well, we're supposed to obey God. Yes, we're supposed to obey God. But better yet, we're supposed to honor God. A couple weeks ago in our family class on on our connection group on Sunday morning, we talked about obeying and honoring and the difference with them. I can obey without honoring, but I cannot honor God without obeying God. Think about it. I can obey without honoring. How many of you have told your kids to take out the trash before? And they obeyed you, but they didn't honor you. They obeyed you. They took out the trash. But they didn't honor you. Take out that trash. I'll show them where the trash goes. I'll take out the trash. That's obeying. He took out, they took out the trash, right? None of you have ever done that. None of you have ever had kids that did that. I never did that. Pastor's not here. He can't say I was lying from the pulpit. He's watching on live stream. I can't get away with anything. But I can obey without honoring, but I cannot honor without obeying. And many of us obey Christ. We do what Christ wants on the outside, but on the inside, our heart is as stone cold as it ever has been. We're not honoring God. We're just doing what we're asked to do. We're obeying. There was a little boy, I've probably shared this before, but there was a little boy in Sunday school. I probably shared this a couple weeks ago. It may have been in a connection group. But this little boy in Sunday school kept standing up and talking while the teacher was talking. Four years old, little, little Sunday school class. The teacher kept telling him, sit down, stop talking, sit down, stop talking. And the little boy kept talking. He kept standing up. So finally, the teacher looks at him and says, I'm going to go get your parents if you don't sit down and stop talking. The little boy folds his hands like this, and he sits down. And he looks at the teacher. He says, I'm sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I'm, stand, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know what he's trying to say? I'm obeying you, but I really don't want to be. And many of us, 
Man, listen, listen. We show up to church. We do what God's asked us to do. We read our Bible. But it's all because we're supposed to do it. It's all because it's a surface obedience. And we need to get away from outwardly performing and move to inwardly transforming. Romans 12, 2. We need to uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Why? How? By the renewing of our mind. So we're not just outwardly performing, but we're moving to inwardly transforming. So let's look at these two areas that Jesus talks about. Counterculture living from the inside out. Number one, I want you to look at verse number 21 with me. He says, you have heard that it was said of them by old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse number 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Number one, I want you to notice this. How do we live counterculture from the world? Number one, anger. Counterculture living from the inside out. Let's look at anger. Notice how anger grows. I want you to notice verse number 22 with me. He starts off verse number 22, and he says, I say unto you. So now it's different than what they've heard, right? They've, said, they've heard that thou shalt not kill. But he says, I say to you. He says, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Let me just be 100% honest with you for a second. Many times, our anger is completely causeless. Think about it. Many times... Our anger is completely causeless. And many times the person we're angry at has no idea that they've even done anything wrong. And so Jesus says, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You know what anger does to a person? Anger makes them the prisoner. Think about it. Anger makes that person that is angry the prisoner. Why? Because the person that they're angry at many times, most of the time, has no idea that the other person is angry with them. And you just harbor this bitterness, you harbor this anger, and you're thinking to yourself, I just wish I could make this right. I just, this, I can't believe they would do such a thing. And all the while, this person on the other side has no idea. So he says, it, 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 let me, uh, he says, uh, in verse number 22, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. But he takes it a step further. So you're angry without a cause, but notice the next step. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Now, you're like, oh, I'm good. I've never sold my brother Raka. I'm good. I've never gone to you and said, Raka. Let me tell you what that word means. Raka has this idea. You empty-headed, worthless little person. In John Boucher's language. You know what it means? Empty-headed or worthless. So he basically says, you, he, he, he says, so you're angry without a cause. Now you take it the next step further. You know what happens? Then we start mumbling under our breath. You you have what there's no brain in there there's what is wrong with you you are no good lying rotten stinking and we start mumbling these things right and many of you are looking at me and kind of nodding your head kind of some of you don't want to nod your head but you know deep down inside that you've done this i'm not up here by myself this morning you know you've done this too and you've mumbled things under your breath because you're angry right i want you to listen to me Jesus says, he takes it a step further. You're angry without a cause. That's wrong, right? But now we take it a step further and we say, 
we'll start mumbling under our breath. We start calling people empty-headed, worthless. And Jesus goes, watch what he says. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, you empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council. Now, I want you to catch what happens. We're angry without a cause. Then we start mumbling things under our breath that we really probably don't mean if we were angry, right? We start mumbling things under our breath. What happens then? Everybody around us, hey, parents, your kids see that. Hey, Christian, the world sees that. The world sees that. And you come mumbling things under your breath and you say things you wouldn't say probably if you weren't angry and you're mumbling under your breath and you empty-headed, worthless. And parent, your kid sees that. Christian, the world sees that. And you know what they get? They get an opinion of you that they wouldn't get if you weren't angry. Many of us have opinions of ourselves out in the world of people that have only seen us angry because they've seen us mumbling things under our breath and they've seen us do things that we probably shouldn't do because we were angry. And Jesus says, you, I, you've heard you're not supposed to kill, but guess what? We're going to take it a step further. In your heart, if you're angry, you've already done that. Now listen, here's, he takes it a step further. So he says, he shall say, Raka shall be in danger of the council. So now we've been angry without a cause. We've mumbled things under our breath that we probably didn't mean. Now here's what he says. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. It's capped off with a forceful expression of dislike. You fool. Now no longer are we mumbling things under our breath. We've taken it and we've just straight out said, this person's the dumbest person I've ever met in my life. What is wrong with you? Many of you driving to church this morning, this happened. Many of you, listen, I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. This is what happens. It starts with an angry, a causeless anger, and it moves to mumbling things under our breath, and then it goes to an expression of anger, and we yell out, and Jesus says, he used the word, thou fool. Thou fool. Now his anger has led him to outwardly mocking and tearing down the other person. And this is where we as humans realize that we now have anger. Right? We all of a sudden realize, oh, I have anger. But in all reality, it started all the way back here when I said that there, when, that when I was angry without a cause. It started here. Then I went to mumbling things under my breath. Well, I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just upset. And then we get to the anger part over here. And we as humans realize, oh, shoot, I'm angry. When Jesus says, hey, all the way back here. But notice how we're supposed to take care of this. Go to verse number 23. He says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. The minute that you feel that anger start to well up inside you, go to that person. You know the worst thing that can happen is if we've got a group of people in this room that are angry with each other and you know what they do? They let it fester week in and week out and they let it sit and they let it fume and they let it smolder and it gets worse and it worse and worse to the point where all of a sudden we're mumbling things under our breath about that person and another person hears it and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. You know what the Bible says? If you come and you know that your brother has ought against you or you have ought against your brother, go to thy brother. 
The, the best thing a Christian can do, the best thing a person can do to take care of anger is just go and take care of it. He says, go to thy brother and make it right as soon as possible. Hey, I've been feeling this way, and this is how, this is how you made me feel. It may have not been directed this way, but this is how uh, you made me feel, and I'm just letting you know. I, I wanted to talk to you about this. And maybe it won't all get settled right away. It may not all take care of itself right then and there, but I want you to know you've done what the Bible's asked. You've gone and tried to make right with your brother. And anger is so counterculture. And let me just be honest with you, Christian, this morning. One of, the, one of the biggest downfalls in a Christian's life is that of anger. We say, oh, well, I haven't killed. Oh, I haven't done that, which is wrong. The Bible says, hey, verse number 21, you've heard that it was said to them not old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother. Anger is a huge deal to God. So much so that he preached on it. He used four, a couple, four verses here to talk about anger. And I want you to understand the importance of anger in it being counterculture. But number two, I want you to look at verse number 27. Where are we at here? Verse number 27. So you've heard of them at old time, shall not kill. So now we're in verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But let's hear what Jesus has to say about it. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, the lust after her, hath committed adultery already in his heart. Number two, I want you to look at this. So counterculture from the inside out with anger, but counterculture from the inside out, lust. Let's look at this for a second. Let's go back in our minds to when Jesus wrote this. Jesus wrote this when the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans were all, they were like the, the leaders, right? The Jews had their own problems with men and women and, and families and, and marriages. They had their own issues. Then you had the Greeks. You had the Greeks. And here's the Greeks' philosophy. The Greeks expected the women to be secluded and never step foot out in public unless they were chaperoned. That's the Greeks' idea. A Greek man would demand absolute moral purity from his wife, yet gave himself a license to be as immoral as he pleased. That's the Greeks. This is the day Jesus is living in. This is the day that Jesus is preaching this message. This is what he's saying. And the Romans, they started out really good. They started out so strong. Then they defeated the Greeks. They took over militarily and they defeated them and took over. And then all of a sudden, they started taking on the Greek way of life. Slowly, it started implementing its way into the Roman culture. Slowly, it started taking a, a, a root in what the Greeks and the Romans did. And it took root in the Roman culture. And so Jesus is now sharing to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the Romans. He's sharing, hey, you've heard that thou shalt... He's like in verse number 27. He says, you've heard... That it, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they're like, I'm good on that aspect. I haven't committed adultery. I've been faithful to my wife. Everything's good here. But he says in verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. And we come to God and we say, God, I haven't left my wife. God, I haven't left my husband. God, I haven't treated her bad. God, I haven't treated him bad. I haven't done anything that would cause me to be unfaithful. I fulfilled my role as a spouse. 
I do everything I'm supposed to do. And God comes in and he says, hold on, let's just take a look at the heart. Let's take a look at what the heart is going on. Now look at this. Let's look at the word. He says, uh, I say unto you that whosoever, verse number 28, whosoever looketh on a woman. I want you to look at that word looketh. Here's the Greek word, blepo. Ready? Here's what that word means. It literally means to gaze or to keep on looking. If you go to chapter 7, verse number 3, it's the same word that's used. When Jesus is talking, he says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thine own eye? You remember that when Jesus said that? He says, And you keep looking and gazing and staring at everybody else and what they've got wrong in their life, but you're not looking at the mote that's in your eye. It's that idea of gazing and staring. And here's what Jesus is saying. Verse number 28. That whosoever gazes or keeps on staring on a woman, in what way? To lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And you say, well, Johnny, this is, I can't walk outside. We live in Englewood, Florida. I, you must be telling me I can't walk out my front door. I can't go to the grocery store. I can't go anywhere. Because even when I walk through the, uh, the, the checkout line at the grocery store, there's magazines there. And there's things that my eye would be drawn to. There's things that I would see. And I, I must be able, I must just have to stay at my house and never go out. Is that what you're telling me? No, no. I, do I agree with you that there's evil all around? Yes, and I believe it is getting worse and worse. Yes. But here's what I think this is what Jesus was talking about. It's not that initial look, right? It's not that initial sight. It's this, the keep on gazing, the sight, the keep on looking at. And here's what it is. It's the deliberate act that feeds the impulse and changes into a lustful look. And I want you to listen to me. We go out into a wicked, wicked, wicked world. Just yesterday, my wife and I were out to dinner and saw some things, and I just looked at my wife and I said, what is wrong with people? But we live in a wicked, wicked world. And we're going, you and I that are in the world but not of the world, are going to see things that we wish, we probably wish we wouldn't have seen, right? We're going to see things that we wish we wouldn't have seen. But Jesus says, it's not that initial look. It's that second that third, that changes from the, from the impulse that changes into a lustful look. So here's what he says about it. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be in hell. So he's like, if your eye is offending you, just get rid of it. I don't know if I've ever seen any of you trying to pull your own eye out. Then he says, he goes even further, he says, if thy right eye or right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Jesus is like, uh, hey, uh, just cut it off. Just, just pluck it out. And here's what's really amazing to me. Everybody that tries to take every word of the Bible, literally, every word literally, I've never seen them walking around with one hand and one eye. You find that amazing? I've never seen that. Here's what the Bible's saying. I don't think that this is what Jesus was actually saying. Just get rid of your eye. Just cut your hand off. I don't, I don't think that's what he was saying. Here, here's what I think he was saying. The eye, 
generates the desire, right? The eye generates that desire. When we see, there's the desire. And then the Bible goes even farther with the hand. The hand generates the deed. And here's what I think Jesus is saying. He wasn't being crazy. He was showing how serious he was on the matter. God was not telling us to cripple ourselves. He wasn't telling us to cripple ourselves, but rather to control ourselves. You know what we have a world full of today? People that are out of control. Look around. And Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter, and he said, Christians, you ought to be under control. He wasn't telling you to cripple yourself. He wasn't telling you to do something that was going to cripple your body. He was doing something. He was saying something to get the effect across to say, control yourself. You live in a world that is out of control. You ought to be the people that have some self-control of you and can control what's going on in your body. Control yourself. You know what we have today is a bunch of men that don't have any self-control and they leave their wives for no reason. You know what we have today is a bunch of women that don't control themselves and they leave their husbands and their families for no apparent reason. You know what we have today is we have people, young people, that are following their lustly desires and they're not following what God wants for their life and they have no self-control to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil and they say yes to their fleshly impulses and they don't say no to it. And they continue on and they continue on and they continue on and they have no self-control. But Jesus is coming and he's saying, counterculture, we're going to have some self-control about ourselves. We're going to come in and we're going to have some self-control and we're going to say no to some things. We're going to say no to our flesh. We're going to say no to what the devil wants us to do. We're going to say no to what is going on in our life. Because why? Because if I said yes to it, if I continue down this path, it's only going to get worse. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's be different from the world. He had anger, then he had self-control. And so today, let's get right down to the heart of this. What is Jesus trying to say right here? On the outside, every one of us today may look, and, may look at each one of us and we go, wow, they got things together. On the outside, wow, they've been to church every week this month. It's been awesome. At Bible study, wow, she read her Bible every day. That's awesome. And on the outside, everyone would look at us and say, we've got it all together. But deep down, each one of us know that from the inside, it's not exactly how it should be with God. Our life is not exactly the way it should be with God. We want it to be there, but it's not fully there. I'll be the first one to testify today and say it is not fully there. Why? Because you know what still lives inside each and every one of us? Sin. Sin. And today there's someone, there may be someone here that may be in a church for the first time or maybe hearing preaching for the first time or hasn't been in a long time or is back from the Lord or isn't knowing what's going on in their life. And you'd say, all this sounds crazy to me. It's counterculture. Let me tell you something so amazing. Maybe you're here for one of the first times or you've never been to church in a while. Can I tell you something so amazing? God loves you. That is so counterculture. Where the world says, nobody loves you. Just make your own path in life. Nobody loves you. The Bible says in John 3.16, God so loved the world. How much did he love you? You know how much he loved you? He loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should perish, should not, uh, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And today, if you're here today, and you say, Johnny, I just... 
I came in these doors. I may be hurting. There's things going on in my life, and I don't know what God's doing. I don't really know what's going on. And you say, if I were to die right now, I have no idea where I would spend eternity. Because there's only one of two places a person can go. You either go to a place called heaven or you go to a place called hell. And some of you are here today and you couldn't take this book and show me 100% sure how you know that if you, when you die, you would spend eternity in a place called heaven. Some of you don't have that security. But can I tell you something? The most fulfilling life a person can have is that life that knows that Jesus Christ is the answer. The one that knows that at one day when I take my last breath here, I will take my next breath in a place called heaven, standing face to face with my Savior, the one who sent his only begotten Son to die for me. And some of you may be here and say, Johnny, I don't know that that's where my next breath would be if I were to die right now. And I'm going to pray for you. I really will. Why? Because the best decision you can make is the one to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But some of you are here today, and yes, on the outside, it looks all good, and everything looks fine, and we may be kind of living counterculture on the outside, but on the inside, we're as culture as culture gets. We're not counter in the slightest. And today, all I'm asking is this. We're taking a look at counterculture from the inside out. I'm asking you to look at your life from the inside out. What is your life like from the inside out? If it was inside out, was what is outside be inside and what is inside be outside? Would you be the same person that you are now? Ask yourself that question. Counterculture 